one of the leaders of the MAGA GOP is in Moscow tonight. This was Putin's mouthpiece in the United States, somebody who had turned a blind eye to the atrocities committed by Putin. Tucker Carlson hasn't even released the interview yet. <laughs> but Don't we should know. condemn him now. God forbid somebody actually have an original thought or somebody ask a thought provoking question and you shake up the narrative that they've put out there. They can't risk that. They can't risk anyone getting any information that might open up their mind to something else. All right, folks, welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. We are just, I mean, it's basically the beginning of the weekend, right? So let's, let's dive into this because the Supreme Court today sat and heard oral arguments whether Trump can stay on the ballot. Really intriguing to break down tomorrow. Victor Davis Hanson is going to be with us as well. Biden, by the way, keeps speaking to dead people. So let's break it all down with our panel, Grace Curley. She is a contributor at The Spectator and the host of The Grace Curley Show. Reagan Reese is a Daily Caller reporter, White House correspondent. And Larry O'Connor is the host of WMAL's Morning on the Mall and a town hall contributor. Let's get into it with them. All right, panel. Wow, what a day. I cannot believe I'm watching a Supreme Court oral argument uh, where it's just literally sound, but this is where we are today. Um, let me just, I, I guess it's interesting. I want to get everyone's initial takes on where they think this is going. I think it they're going to rule uh, in in Trump's favor. I think, you know, that's kind of how the court weighs. I'm more interested right now, honestly, there seems to be some protests in front of uh, SCOTUS, or there were this morning. They put the barricades up. Um, there are a lot of motions around this case. So, you know, regardless of how this lands, we're going to hear a lot of outcry from both the right and the left. And so that's, yeah. you know, as a journalist, what I'm going to be focusing on. All right, Larry, what do you think? Well, listen, the, the question here, of course, is whether Donald Trump can be excluded from the ballot in various states based on the 14th Amendment. And of course, 14th Amendment says that if you were an officer of the federal government and you engaged in insurrection, that that precludes you from, from holding office. I, I, on the face of it, it is outrageous. It's despicable. You can't say that Donald Trump is guilty of insurrection against the United States when Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, hasn't even charged him, right. let alone tried him and convicted him of insurrection. So, so right there on the face of it, there's no logic to this, but even more so, I have interviewed multiple U.S. attorneys about this and constitutional scholars. The language is very clear here about being an officer of the federal government. This is an important constitutional issue. The president of the United States technically is not right. an officer of the federal government. He's the chief executive of the federal government. For every reason, this should not be allowed and the Supreme Court should strike it down. But Sean, I fear... I really fear for what might happen if they don't. If they don't what? Strike it down? If they don't strike it down. If they let this stand and allow various states to just decide for the people of that state that they're not, they're not entitled to vote for Donald Trump because a small number of people in black robes or in the case of Maine, one secretary of state, one authoritarian just decided, nope. You can't vote for Donald Trump. I, I really fear for the future I, here I, so if that's I, what's decided. I, I totally agree with you. That like, but there's just something inside of me that says, okay, we have a six-three majority of conservative justices. That would mean two of them peeled off to vote with the liberals in saying that the Constitution doesn't say what it says. Grace, I just don't see that happening. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that Maine was brought up because that case is really interesting. It, it wasn't a judge. It wasn't a jury. It was just one person who decided, eh, I don't think people should be able to vote for Donald Trump. And, and what's really interesting to me is when you look at the different states, it kind of actually it kind of actually makes me feel better about the whole thing, Sean, because in California, for example, they're saying, no, he should be on the ballot. That's California. That's pretty liberal. So there right. are still like I, I talked to someone recently, a guest I had on, and they said, as as conservatives, we get into this habit of saying liberal judges or this judge, or that judge. There are still Democrats out there who are involved in our justice system who haven't completely lost their minds and realize that you do have to follow the Constitution and this is very shaky legal ground. And so what I'm hoping, as you just said, I'm hoping that whatever ruling we get for this, I don't think that Trump's going to be banned from any ballots when, right. when push comes to shove. But I think what this comes down to is we need a ruling that shows the country this is not happening. Like it needs to be 8-1 or something yeah. like that. Do you know what I'm saying? It yes. has to be definitive or else we're going to have all of this infighting and all of these people saying, well, the reason that it didn't go through is because of this judge or that justice or that justice. And it's just got to we've got to squash this before it gets out of hand. Hey, guys, uh, as a former White House press secretary and a graduate of the U.S. Naval War College, I spent a lot of time thinking through contingency planning. And there's nothing better that you can do for yourself and your family and your loved ones than getting the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. When something goes wrong, a natural disaster, some other thing that attacks our power grid, you will be prepared. The Patriot Generator 2000X is the perfect thing for your house, your family. You can plug in everything, a refrigerator, so if you have medical supplies or food, you will be prepared. All of those other tablets and computers, things that are helpful for you and your family, the Patriot Power Generator 2000X takes care of it. The best part about it is it's portable. You can bring it in your house. You can take it with you on a trip, run it out of your car at a campsite. It doesn't matter. Put it literally in your house and on the counter and power the fridge. You can do it. Plus, it operates off a solar panel, which comes free with your order. You will be prepared. No running to the gas station. No worrying about anything else. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is your hedge against the inevitable. Go to fourpatriots.com slash Spicer to get yours now. Larry, you, you jumped in there. I think that yeah. Chief Justice Roberts, the people who really watch the court say that he wants to get something that's 9-0. And that may be a very narrow process point that says, one, that Congress would have to decide this, that you can't have states willy-nilly making certain decisions. Um, but I, I think that that's right, that Roberts is going to look for a way to say, we need to maintain the integrity of this court and keep this country together, and we have to find a way to get to something that says 9-0. I agree, and, and I pray that they do. 9-0 uh, on the right side of this issue, <laughs> on right. the correct side, yeah. But but Reagan, from what I understand, there's basically, a, you know, three, four arguments. One is the due process. Larry brought that up. He hasn't been convicted of insurrection. And frankly, he's not even convicted. He hasn't been charged with it. How do you kick somebody off a ballot without due process? That's fundamental to our judicial system here in America. That's number one. Number two, there is case law. Larry pointed this out, that the president is not an officer of the United States. Um, and that, that so there is case law to, to look at that. Uh, and number four, uh, or number three, rather, just on its face, is this idea that uh, that uh, you cannot have states adding to what are the qualifications to be uh, on or off the ballot, meaning he's you know yeah. 
35 years old. He's born in the natural, born in the United States. You can't just have some state doing that. And I feel like, you know, you talk about covering this, that this is personal. It's not law-based. Yeah. You know, in Colorado, the dissenting judges pointed this out, Sean, and those judges were all appointed uh, by a Democratic governor. So, you know, they weren't conservative, you know, maybe libertarian, leaning more towards the left. And the dissenting judges uh, pointed this all out and kind of called into uh, question the integrity of courts that, you know, rushed to make a decision in this without watching the other rulings be made. And so I think that's, you know, something that gives hope, you know, for conservatives going into the Supreme Court ruling that these judges that maybe lean left are even, you know, giving scathing dissenting opinions of those who rush to uh, persecute Trump of anything uh, before a decision in other lower courts has been made. You know, um, Grace, one of the shows that I was listening to this morning, and I can't remember because I was flipping around had an attorney on that was critical of one of the briefs that the Trump campaign had filed, which said that the statute actually deals with holding office, not running for office. And they were intrigued because they said that could come back to bite him, that the justices could punt and say, you're right, you can't keep him off the ballot because he's running for Congress. We will address this or address this if he gets elected, whether he can hold office. And they were making the point that was a really dangerous argument to make. And I agree. That was, to me, like just an opening for the justices to drive down and say, okay, you know what? We're going to take this really easy path that says the statute deals with holding office, not running for office. You know what's so amazing to me, Sean, is like I read this stuff as everybody here does every single day. And there's so many cases against Trump and there's a new indictment every day. And then this one to try to keep him off the ballot. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but you, you start to get into the nitty gritty of the language of, of what he's being charged with or not charged with, but why they want to keep him off the ballot. And I find myself all the time being like, which one is this? What does this one have to do with? And, and so you're talking about all these things like, oh, they're going to go this route or this route. And I have to say, well, what are they what are they accusing him of? They're accusing him of inciting an insurrection. And right there, for me, that's where this th whole thing falls apart. It's like, if he did he or did he not? And, and I think there's plenty of evidence to show he did not incite an insurrection. He told people to march peaceably um, and to to act peacefully. And so I, I don't understand how I, I get that this is what happens when you get into the, the the lawyers and the legal stuff. But for me, I'm just like I'm sitting here and I get confused even hearing about it because I just. It yeah, just feels like we're losing the plot. Does that make sense? It's understandable, Grace. You, you know why it's confusing to hear that he's been charged with inciting an insurrection? Because there's been a thousand people charged with crimes after January 6th, and not one of them has been charged with insurrection. Thank you. Thank you. How, how does one incite an insurrection Thank when you. literally no one has been charged with that crime? Um, I want to, Reagan, as the, as the sort of, the, not, not sort of, as the journalist here on the panel, I want to ask you a question. Eric Schmidt, the senator from Missouri, was on a show earlier today and tweeted out like something that we've been talking about a lot, which is that Republicans and people on the right need to fight. They need to fight back. They need to use the same tactics, right? So the Democrats went after President Trump twice on him and impeached him. And the second time he was out of office, which on its face didn't make sense. Impeachment is a political tool to remove someone from office. The guy was out of office. It didn't pass the smell test. Republicans go after Mayorkas. And the Democrats claim it's all political 
and mostly the folks in the D.C. press went along with this. Here we have a Supreme Court case where the idea is to keep a guy off a ballot with a crime that not only he has not been charged with or found guilty of, but no one in America has been charged with. And yet there's no one I feel like in the journalistic world, we keep talking about justices and whether they'll adhere to the law. But I feel like there's very, all of the Washington Post, the New York Times, the CNNs, they, they don't, it, it is like get Trump versus report the facts. Yeah, because Joe Biden needs this, Sean. This is like in this game plan, he's dealing with, uh, you know, the economy, which is, you know, going under. Americans are not feeling uh, very secure in their economic state. The border's a mess. Uh, and now they're trying to gaslight Republicans and say, you know, Donald Trump's the reason that the border is not secure. Uh, if they can't convince the American people that the border crisis is not Joe Biden's fault, then what's the third option? Something happens to Donald Trump and we need Donald Trump to be convicted of something. We need Donald Trump off the ballot. Uh, so I think that's the, the real focus is that this is kind of a backup plan for the state of the uh, nation is in to kind of gang up on Donald Trump and focus on, you know, smearing him in the media. We've seen uh, the White House kind of advocate to CNN, New York Post, Washington Post to kind of cover Trump more. The Biden campaign is kind of banking that on the fact that if Trump can be covered in the media more, his slip ups, his crimes, that they'll take over, uh, take away from the fact that Joe Biden is claiming he can speak to dead people. Yeah, I want to get to that in a minute. Uh, Grace, in 2016, we had the Steele dossier. In 2020, uh, it was the suppression of Hunter Biden laptop. Is this the 2024 version, which is we go after Trump civilly, we go after him criminally, we take him off the ballot? Is this, is this the version now, which is, hey, we tried to go after you through spreading misinformation. We tried to suppress the hits against our opponent. Now we're just going to take you down, brother. Yeah, I guess. It, it's risky, though, because of the timing of it all. I mean, this stuff takes time and, and there's appeals. And depending on when it all happens, it could really bite them in the butt. Because at this point, what we've been seeing is that it's only been helping Trump, whether it's fundraising or whether it's kind of pulling in some of those more college-educated Republicans who are a little bit iffy on him before. They're starting to feel this resurgence of support for Donald Trump. So it could really come back to bite them. But I just want to say one thing, Sean, because you just made me think of this. With the whole Mayorkas impeachment thing, and it's hysterical to me that everyone's now on their constitutional high horse when it comes to Mallorca's and they're like, we don't really have enough stuff to really, you know, impeach him. These are the same people that were going crazy impeaching Donald Trump. They had Adam Schiff basically coming up with a mafia mob movie parody uh, to, to make up stuff about a phone call. And now they're all sitting here going, well, technically based off the constitution, I'm like, where were you guys for the past seven I, listen, years? Listen, I get a kick out of it. It's I, I brought this up all week long. It's amazing. They started it. They created, they politicized and weaponized impeachment. All right, folks, if you've been watching the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my friend, Leo Grillo. He rescued a Doberman years ago and he named the dog Delta. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. He took it a step further. He founded Delta Rescue. And if you go to deltarescue.org, you can see some of the amazing work that they do. Just check out those videos. Look at some of the things that they do and the research. It's amazing. It's a no kill sanctuary. You notice I didn't say shelter. It's a sanctuary. Dogs, cats, horses, they all roam free. They get the nutrition and the care they need for life. That has been Leo's mission. 
But it doesn't stop there. Leo wants to make this an enduring mission. All of Delta Rescue runs on our contributions, five, 10, 100, $1,000, whatever you can do. But Leo really wants to make sure that this outlasts even him. So if you go to deltarescue.org, you can check out not just the videos, but go to the estate planning kit and think about whether or not helping animals and ensuring that Delta Rescue lives on is part of your mission as well. Go to deltarescue.org, make a contribution, but then download that estate planning kit deltarescue.org. Check it out now. Reagan, I do want to switch gears to the drama going on at the RNC. You've been reporting on this. Where do things stand right now? And just to remind, I mean, why don't you kind of fill everybody in? What, what, how did, where, where did, where did this start? What's the TikTok and where it is? Yeah. So New York Times reports Wednesday, I got to get my days all straight, Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday night, that Ronna McDaniel uh, told Trump that she is going to be resigning from the RNC after the South Carolina primary on February 24th. Uh, yesterday, about mid-afternoon, Ronna sends a memo to the whole entire uh, RNC saying, nothing's been decided yet. You know, calm down. I'm still in charge. I haven't resigned. Uh, I talked to RNC members, some sources within the RNC. And, you know, it's really interesting, Sean, Normally, I think they would be really uh, excited to talk about something like this, especially the people I've talked to in the past. And they've been shying away from it. It seems, you know, people aren't wanting to really talk about what's going on, which kind of makes me interested, like what is really happening. But I had a few members who did not see this coming, who, you yeah. know, have, you know, voiced uh, support for her in the past to me and one of my sources in the RNC just had a conversation with Ronna McDaniel and said to me, I was shocked when I found out. I found out from a text from a reporter telling me that she was planning to resign uh, because the conversation he had had with her seemed like, no, she was in this for the long haul. So now it's this waiting game. You know, February 24th is going to roll around. What's going to happen? Right. And the thing that's interesting to me, Grace, is that so she puts out this memo, as Reagan says, that says, hey, pump the brakes. Um, you know, the report from The New York Times said after South Carolina and nothing's happened. She didn't deny anything, by the way. She just mm -hmm. said, hey, I'm still in charge. And then Jason Miller, the senior advisor for the Trump campaign, tweets a story from Fox News saying Trump is backing Michael Watley the North Carolina Republican Party chairman as the next chairman, which is pretty much like the moth, you know, the kiss of death. It was like, yeah. Okay. The thing that I, 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 I start to wonder is like, is, is did Rana just want to get ahead of this? Do you think? I don't know, but where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, Reagan can tell you that you never get a story like this and there's nothing there. I, I don't believe that this came from nothing. Um, but just a, a few things on it. We heard that she had had a two hour plus meeting at Mar-a-Lago. Sean, I don't know about you, but whenever I hear like two hour meeting, as far as work goes or just discussing something, it doesn't make me think that's a good two hour meeting. Like, oh, we're spending two hours talking about what a great job you've been doing. But then she also said, I, I kept reading these headlines, like Rana tells Trump, that she's going to step down from the as head of the RNC after South Carolina. And I was thinking, you could flip that. I'm sure if there was a two-hour meeting, nobody's telling Trump anything. He's telling Rana, hey, well, you have until South Carolina to get out of here. See, Larry, that's what I want, I'm try, I, I want to get at. So yeah. she's sitting there for two hours laying out. I'm, I'm assuming. I, know, I don't know anything on this. Reagan's the, the insider on this one. Um, 
and I think she's saying, okay, this is what we're doing. These are the preparations that we've made. The convention is here. We've put up this money, field staff. This is our fundraising. And this is, and I think, you know, Trump's nodding his head, nodding his head and saying, but you know, I'm disappointed here and I'm disappointed here. And you're reading the room. And I think that's when you at some point come out and say, you know, Mr. President, it's obvious you're not pleased with the job we're doing. Yeah. Therefore, I'll step down. And see what he says. And I think that what I, you know, if you read between the lines, I wonder, I, my guess is that she read the room and said, either I stick around or he's going to make my life a living hell Mm. for the rest of this campaign. And I'm going to get blamed for everything that goes well, or I can step aside now and that, and then, and and tell him, Hey, you get to, you know, have some say, uh, it's early in the process. And, and I can tell by the tone of this two hour conversation, you're not pleased with me. Yeah, I think your hunch is right. It was at that moment where she could say, listen, you know, I, I think I'll step down, Mr. President, considering all the concerns that you may have. And that was the opportunity then for President Trump to say, no, 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 Rana, Rana, you know, listen, you're my you're my girl and I want to keep you there. I helped keep you there a year ago when you were fighting for your life against Harmeet Dillon and, and I'm going to stand by you. He didn't say that. And I think that's exactly how this transpired. Uh, but uh, Sean, this is a pretty busy year for the Republican Party uh, when they reelected Ronna McDaniel for an unprecedented fourth term. No one's ever served this long as the chairwoman of the RNC. And she already had a lot of baggage already going in. Right now, the financial situation is bad. She's opened up a line of credit. My colleague Jennifer Van Lahr at Red State just exposed some of the expenditures that don't make her look real good, considering yeah. we just lost some elections in Virginia. They got to figure out what they're going to do and fast. They need a good, loyal, effective fundraiser in that position who can put together a team to organize and plan a convention. We're having the political convention and then put together a ground game in key states so we can keep the majority in the House and win the majority in the Senate. Sean, this is a super important year. It is. And there's obviously, you you mentioned it, you've got a presidential trust, which is the amount of money that can be coordinated between the president and the candidate that's completely uh, coordinated. That's that's up there. You've got the convention. You've got the ground game. Reagan, he floated, as I said, Michael Watley, the chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party. It seems at least internally that there's some pushback. Michael Watley had run for co-chair of the RNC, mm-hmm. uh, had gotten Trump's backing and lost to the current co-chair, Drew McKissick, the chairman of the South Carolina Party. What are you hearing from your sources about whether or not Watley's going to be able to take this over? Yeah, so Drew's the the co-chair now. So he would take over temporarily, I believe, for a little bit. Um, He, you know, Watley's an ally of Rana, which is, I think, why you're seeing some of this pushback. They are, you know, friends. And that's why I find it slightly interesting that, you know, Trump is going to get rid of Rana to, you know, put in somebody who is really tight with her. You know, he called on Saturday, he said, uh, you know, there are going to be some changes to the RNC. Uh, he publicly basically called out Rana and her leadership. And so, you know, does that kind of put them in this position where we got to, you know, follow through with that and get rid of somebody and kind of, you know, maybe keep Rana around and keep an ally where she can still uh, have some say in the process. But Sean, I mean, she has been under fire all year long. At the end of uh, 2023, their end of the year FEC filings showed that they had $8 million cash in hand. Uh, and Larry pointed out the finances. They had more than tripled that just four years ago. How do you get to that position? Well, I mean, the thing, Grace, that's interesting to me is you've got a situation where 
you got to be careful what you what you want. I mean, he could replace Rana. He gets a new chairman in there. There's only so many deck. I mean, deck chairs you can rearrange uh, in in that amount of time. And the question is, is Michael Watley setting himself up for failure? I mean, I heard one person on Twitter said he's just the male version of Rana. I mean, that's what Reagan was saying. Uh, fair or not, you're the you need a strong and vibrant RNC to manage a lot of the functions of the campaign that they're going to want, you know, whether it's the ground game, uh, the data operation, et cetera. And you got it, as Larry pointed out, you got a big convention coming up that the RNC is responsible for. Uh, I just, I wonder whether or not this is the right time for this. Yeah. I, I find the Rana thing to be so interesting, especially because of everything Larry hit on about her tenure there and how long she's been there for. And it's pretty unprecedented for her to be there that long. And especially given the fact that she hasn't been all that successful. I mean, of course, Trump gives her a lot of credit for 2016. And I get that. That's going to get you a long way. But she's had cycle after cycle of failures. And it's not just this recent um, expenditure report that has people up in arms. This happened in, I think it was 2020, where we got a similar one and they started talking about all the ornaments they were sending to people and all of the the upholstery and like the weird gifts. And what it comes down to, and maybe Watley will figure this out and this will benefit him, but it's like nobody cares if you're spending that kind of money if you're winning. Right. That's it's right. like anything else. Everybody's cool with it. You want to buy people ornaments? Fine. But if you're losing, then all of a sudden people are going, why are we spending $700,000 or 70,000, I might have the numbers wrong, on on floral arrangements. That's right. dumb. And so as much as, yeah, he might be the, the male Rana, I also feel like there's a lot of easy ways he could set himself apart by just maybe going in there and saying, enough with the BS. We're not going to be spending money on this. We're not going to be spending money on that. And kind of just, even if it's just optics, it, it could, he could easily make himself a better, a, a better leader than Rana for some pretty basic stuff. Hey folks, are you looking to secure your financial future? I know during the Biden economy, that's something that all of us are trying to do more. I've added precious metals to my investment strategy and the people that I trust to do that are the folks at Bishop Gold Group. Now, if you go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, you can begin your journey as well with a special promotion. Or you can give them a call at 844-984-1616. These are the people that I picked up the phone, I called them, I walked through my particular situation and we came up with a strategy. Now, maybe you have an IRA that you want to roll over. Maybe you just want to diversify your investments. But people at Bishop Gold Group are the people that I trust. Give them a call or go to the site, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. You get on the phone, you talk about your particular situation, and they'll help you come up with a strategy. Maybe you keep some of the gold with you. Maybe they do it for you. But you can work with them one-on-one -on -one to come up with a strategy that's good for you. So go to bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean to begin your journey to financial freedom through precious metals. You know what, what upsets me about all this, Larry? You, or I can't even remember which one of you pointed out. But you think about, as someone who's been in politics for a long time, if you think about who you want as your opponent, if the Republicans are looking out right now and they say, okay, you got Joe Biden, interest rates are high, crime is on the rise in all these cities, the border is a disaster, foreign policy is an absolute nightmare, right? And then and then you have a clip like this. Let me just play this for you. This is the, the president of the United States talking about a conversation he had last year. Right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. It was in, it was in the south of England. And I sat down and I said, America's back. 
And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, what, why, how, how long are you back for? Okay, so to put that in context, he apparently spoke to French President Mitterrand last year. Uh, French President Mitterrand died in 1996. Uh, just a day ago, he now says he spoke uh, to Helmut Kohl, I believe it is, the former Chancellor of Germany, who also died a few years back. Uh, I'm starting to think, by the way, that he's going to have his own little G8 summit of dead leaders and report out some huge... I mean, this is insane. <laughs> but we have a president of the United States who's talking to dead people. Yeah. And I, I'm like, oh my God, this is the ball is on the tee. Just hit it, folks. Yeah, it's uh, and it doesn't even have the charm of Haley Joel Osment in the sixth sense. In fact, I'd be happy to have three senses from this president, let alone six. It's it's not good. He his he's his mental incapacity is deteriorating on a regular basis. He forgot the name of Hamas, the terror organization that conducted the horrific attacks of October seventh the other day. You wonder why he. Uh, wouldn't agree to doing a Super Bowl interview, a softball by yes. with either Nor O'Donnell or or Gail King. Uh, he couldn't even do that, let alone a debate this fall. Everyone says, "Oh, look, he's he's so broken right now; he can't possibly run a campaign or debate Donald Trump." And I stop for a second and think, "Wait a second! You're worried about him debating Donald Trump? I'm worried about him being president right now, every day yeah. well, as commander in chief." Well, it's funny because Grace, when when he was asked at the podium. Uh, by Steve, by Peter Ducey of Fox News, when KJP, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the genius there, when he was at, this is what she said. How was President Biden ever going to convince the three quarters of voters who are worried about his physical and mental health that he is okay, even though in Las Vegas he told a story about recently talking to a French president who died in 1996? I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole with you, what? sir. What is We're going to go. Hole? Go ahead. He said go he ahead. talked to Mitterrand. Go ahead. In you saw the president in Vegas, in California. You've seen the president in South Carolina. You saw him in Mich Michigan. I'll just leave it there. Go ahead. Go ahead. She doesn't want to go down a rabbit hole. Like what rabbit hole? I don't think that's a rabbit hole. You were literally being asked about whether or not the president of the United States, why people have questions about the liquidity of the president. And, and she won't dignify that. First of all, the thing is so funny. I want to play a game with you. Let's just do this for fun right now. And everybody just, okay. let's pretend that you are the White House press secretary for Biden for that one moment. Give me the one response. If, you, if Peter Ducey asked you that question, uh, Grace Curley, and said, here's what he said the other night about meeting with the French president who's been dead since 1996. Give me your 30-second KJP. Like, you have to fill in for her right now. Go. Well, you should be the one answering it. You've done it before. Okay, wait, let me think, let me think, let me think. I would say, listen, he has such fond memories um, with his former friend. And he was, actually, you know what? No, I've learned a lot from KJP. I would say, I'm actually not in charge of this this department. I'm going to have to Where's John Kirby? Yeah. I'm going to have to refer you to the French embassy. Okay. No, I'll refer you to the president's doctors. Yeah. Larry, Larry, seriously, How do you How do you explain that? All right. I'll give you my, I'll give you, I'll get two answers. One is my snarky Larry answer, which is, listen, this is all much ado about nothing. As the president was just saying the other day to his very good friend, Margaret Thatcher. Now, that probably wouldn't, that probably wouldn't fly. So here, here is actually, you know, honestly, because your job sometimes in that podium position is to spin and to try to put your best face on something, as you know, Sean. So here's what she should have said. Listen, 
we finally have a president in this White House who is working overtime to fix the problems that his predecessor handed him. And if you're accusing him of being a little taxed and, and a little weary of all of the mess that he's had to clean up from the border, from national security to foreign affairs to the economy, we plead guilty. Yeah, once in a while he might get a name messed up, but the there important thing is he's working harder than anyone else right. can or ever has in the Oval Office, and that's why we need four more years of this brain-dead individual. Reagan, as someone who sits in that room, what would, I mean, what would have been an acceptable answer to you? You know, I think she tried to get at it. I would have said he's been on the campaign trail. He's been all over the country. He's having a bunch of conversations. He's older, Peter. I think he might have, you know, he's tired. He might have just messed, uh, mixed up some names, kind of like what Larry said. And she tried to get at that. You know, she get, went. Uh, you know, oh, I'm not getting down this rabbit hole with you, to which I think the room kind of like gasped. I certainly was kind of cringing, like what kind of response is that? Right. And then she ended up coming back and saying, you've seen him in Michigan. You've seen him in South Carolina. That, right. You've seen him in Nevada. That's all I need to say about that. OK. But even we then, it was you've alive. seen him like he's a, he's you know, he's alive. Yeah, it was it was an, he held up today's newspaper. Yeah. He's not falling over. What more do you want? No, but, but the problem, I think, Reagan, is, yeah, we have seen him. That's why the question's being asked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But but that, that's a, see, I would have taken a part of what Larry said and, and and just look, he was the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee for 16, whatever the number is, years, vice president for a this man has deeper ties to foreign leaders than anywhere in the world. And so from time to time, does he slip it up? Yeah. But that's how hard he's working. And that, da, da, da. I mean, just blow that's it right. off as he's got such a vast and deep understanding. And the idea that she can't articulate the most basic thing really says a lot about how pathetic their responses are to basic questions. And how do you, I used to tell people when you went to that podium, I knew about 80% of the questions, not because anyone had given them to me, because you read Twitter, you look at the news, you look at what's trending, right. uh, you watch the morning shows, you know what they're going to ask you. And plus, you're getting enough press calls that you go, okay, they're going to ask me about the economy. They're going to fit this report. They're going to ask me about this accusation. The idea that she wasn't well prepared to ask a question that had been trending about the president screwing up yeah. the foreign, it, to me, just shows a lack of understanding of the job. Um, one thing I do want to hit on before I move to the next subject, because I know, Reagan, there was a great story that you guys did, you, you led, about the f downfall of the DeSantis campaign. And I know it seems like that's in the rearview mirror, but what were the big takeaways that you guys came up with as to why that campaign that should have been spectacular in terms of a governor coming off a huge, huge win, banking tons of cash, frankly, was so disastrous. Yeah, Sean, I mean, it was shocking, you know, going through the reporting process. It took me and uh, my coworker, Henry Rogers, about a month to kind of put this together, talking to foreign st uh, former staffers about this. Uh, you know, one thing they all pointed to across the board was that Ron DeSantis and his wife, Casey DeSantis were micromanagers. They had their hands on everything in the process, which is shocking when you're running for president. You you know can't put a tweet out without the governor taking a look at it. By the time he gets around to looking at it, now it's it's old news. Right. Same with right. raising emails. Um, and then another key moment I think just sums it up and, and illustrates the problems with this campaign. Uh, the Twitter launch, where they launched in Twitter spaces, a lot of those uh, campaign staffers were informed of several moves 
through the media. That's what they told us. Uh, they found out that they were going to be launching the campaign through NBC News uh, when they did a big camp uh, turnover and like relaunch in July. Those former staffers told me that they were watching coworkers be moved into a room to be fired and while reporters are texting, hey, did you learn that you're going to be fired? Uh, you know, are you still wow. with the campaign and seeing wow. headlines? Uh, it is really, you know, I understand being concerned about leaks, but it's, you know, one thing to find out that you're about to be fired uh, when you're just sitting at your desk in the office from a reporter. That is... Uh, signs of just mismanaging a presidential campaign. Yeah, Larry knows about that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, hey, I, I, don't worry. I, I'm just looking forward to appearing on the Scaramucci show next week in this same spot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll only last eight <laughs> days, though. <laughs> uh, I do want to switch back though, to, from that campaign to the Biden campaign. There was a story in Politico yesterday uh, that said, that I'll just read this to you. President Joe Biden wants you to see him eat. In the past few weeks alone, he's visited a boba tea shop in Nevada, a soul food restaurant in South Carolina, a cookout chain in North Carolina, a bar and restaurant in Michigan, a coffee shop in Pennsylvania, and more. Biden staffers and Democrats close to the White House like to note how obviously clear it is that he's enjoying himself in these moments and not because of the caloric intake. Uh, Biden appreciates the small events. These retail stops allowed the president to do what he excels at, connecting with people in a meaningful way on their own turf, said a former aide. Uh, Biden aides have been openly skeptical of the value of big, splashy campaigns. And I'm thinking to myself, that's you went from a basement strategy to allowing him to be seen licking ice cream cones and drinking Slurpees, Grace. It's like, that. that I, I get it, they have to sell what they have, but that seems like a pretty pathetic deal. Yeah. And I always said that was a big no-no. It's like right along there with wearing hats and, you know, just taking bad photographs on the campaign trail. I, I didn't work for John Kasich. I don't understand the eating thing. Personally, when I see people eating, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was NBC, but I could be wrong. They did some sort of sit-down interview with Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler at a Chinese food restaurant. Yep. And the the two of them were eating on camera. And I thought, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't get the eating. And by the way, on the hat thing, just to comment on that, he was recently with a bunch of union guys and he put on a hard hat backwards the wrong way. So all of this stuff, it just makes for really bad video, really bad photographs. Yeah. And to me, that's an easy, that's an unforced error. Having this guy, 80, 80, what, 81 years old? 80 years old, eating on the campaign trail. Like, who is running this? Whose ideas are these? Right. Because they're not but, his ideas. But Larry, you got to play the cards you have. They can't take yeah. him out and do a big campaign event because he starts talking about dead people. Well, well, that's the key. You see, you see, it's not that they want to show him eating right. things. They're, they're not even playing to what they have. They're trying to avoid the real problem. Jam something in your mouth talk. so you can't talk. That's, that's what it is, Sean. That's yeah. what it is. And this whole That's, idea that, you know, oh, what he does best connecting with people, if they mean, you know, trying to sneak a sniff of a young woman or something, okay, maybe that's that's what he really enjoys when he's on the campaign trail. But the, the biggest problem with going to all these little restaurants and cafes and stores, uh, did you see like a week ago he was complaining, he said, yeah, I'll buy another smoothie, even though it's eight bucks. Well, it's eight bucks because of your economy, pal. Right. Yep. And there was another one that showed him four years ago, he was at the exact same fast food restaurant and, it, and a value meal eight, uh, four years ago was like $6 something. And then in the next shot from right now, it's $9 something. 
So there is a boomerang effect here that shows when he goes to a little mom and pop shop, everything costs a lot more and it costs a lot more because of his failed policies. Yeah. Uh, the one last thing I want to touch on before we end today is uh, Reagan is at the Daily Caller. It was founded in part by Tucker Carlson. He is over in Europe uh, interviewing Vladimir Putin and the media had a meltdown of epic proportions. Let me play for you the Aaron Burnett clip. One of the leaders of the MAGA GOP is in Moscow tonight. It's the man you see here with the MAGA leader, Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson. Possibly there in Moscow to interview Putin. Definitely there as a Putin supporting celebrity. Now it is unclear if an interview between Putin and Carlson will take place, but if it does, it gives Putin a chance to sit down with a big supporter. He's a hero. This was Putin's mouthpiece in the United States. See, the thing is, folks, Erin Burnett knows something about tough questions, and she knows how real journalism should be executed. Take a look at how she handled Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine. Do you do anything for your to yourself? Are you ever able to take a minute to to read or to listen to music or something to sort of give yourself that uh, a moment? I have such moments, important, to be in silence, to be alone. And the music house, really. What music do you like? Oh, I like ACDC. ACDC, I don't understand all the words <laughs> because of my like the music. Yeah, I like energy. Maybe it's, it's too old music for... I understand. We're the same. We're the same. <laughs> now, Reagan, as the resident journalist, I think that asking somebody about what music they like, what bands, how they have quiet time. Those are the hard hitting questions that really don't get asked if it doesn't, if a <laughs> journalist isn't at their core seeking the truth, right? <laughs> you know, Sean, that you're hitting the nail on the head with one thing I wanted to point out. Tucker Carlson hasn't even released the interview yet. <laughs> but Don't we should know. condemn him now. It is, you know, baffling to me. The Babylon Bee had a headline, obviously satirical, journalists mad at journalists for doing journalism. And that's basically what this is, except the journalist in question hasn't done the journalism yet. And so it's really hard to critique a piece of work when you don't even have it. And so I find that interesting from the media. Also in that clip, uh, they're pointing out that Russia media is saying like, oh, Tucker Carlson's plugging his phone in. He's using it with the USB. Oh, look at the way they they cover him like a celebrity. Uh, we cover people that we don't necessarily agree with in the same way. I mean, watch even the right wing media covers uh, Joe Biden in the same way. He's drinking. I think I had a tweet the other day. He was drinking uh, a white boba milk tea with a with a pink straw. And so these are just normal things for media people to point out. But I find that whole thing really interesting for that reason. You know, uh, Grace, the thing is, yes, we haven't seen Tucker's work of art yet. Uh, but the bottom line is, who cares? My point, I mean, not who cares, but my point is, he gets to ask the questions that he wants. I yeah. get to ask the, I mean, I, I think of topics that'll be interesting. If the audience doesn't want to watch, they don't have to watch. If people don't like what Tucker's doing, they don't have to watch him. They clearly do because he has a huge following and enormous popularity with what he puts out. Why is it, it's funny, these people feel like if you don't ask the questions they want, like about what you listen to in terms of music, that you're therefore not a good journalist because you didn't ask their questions. 
Yeah. And I think actually what Reagan said is that it really encapsulates this issue. It's not what's going to be in the interview. It's the fact that they're so terrified of something getting out there that they haven't approved of or that they don't get to ask the questions about. And and you go back to, for example, and I'm not trying to compare Putin with Trump. I'll leave that to MSNBC and and all the rest. But Rachel Maddow doesn't show Trump speeches anymore. And and to some people, it's like, well, yeah, that's MSNBC. But to to hit back on what Reagan's saying, it's like this is how little they think of the American voters and the people that view their shows is God forbid somebody actually have an original thought or somebody ask a thought provoking question and you shake up the narrative that they put out there. They can't risk that. They can't risk anyone getting any information that might open up their mind to something else. And I'm not saying that, like we said, we don't, we don't have the interview. I don't know if it's going to be great or bad or whatever, but it's It'll just, it's crazy to me that censorship is their first thing that they go to and right. suppressing information as opposed to just saying, hey, people can decide on their own. What's the big deal if people see something and decide on their own what to think? To hell with free speech in the First Amendment. Larry, before we go, yeah. uh, today, tonight, we have the Nevada caucuses, 26 delegates at stake. Trump will win them all because uh, the person who lost to none of the candidates isn't competing. You're <laughs> our correspondent down there in the Virgin Islands where another 14 are at stake. How's that going to go? I, it's hard to tell. They haven't polled the United States Virgin Islands. It's hard to poll too because there's three li- islands involved. I'm on St. Thomas right now. There's also St. Things Croix you do and St. Um, you know, you're welcome. I'll send you the bill. Uh, but if Trump does win, this is a winner-take-all caucus. So if Trump does win in the Virgin Islands, that might just seal it. I, I think Nikki Haley has tried to woo the voters here. I think she's hoping to have any victory. I mean, she needs one this week, considering she couldn't beat anybody but Nikki in Nevada earlier this week. Uh, This may seal it, honestly. I know she wants to do well in South Carolina, but currently she's down 40 points to Trump in her own state. All right, Uh, Grace, Larry, Reagan, thanks for being with us. Reminder, tomorrow, Victor Davis Hanson will be here next week. We've got someone from inside the courtroom today at the Supreme Court. Remember to subscribe, hit that notification button, and we'll see you back here tomorrow on The Sean Spicer Show.